We're now going to continue our series, our little two-week mini-series in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. So if you missed it last week, you'll get a little bit of a recap today. Uh, we are passing out these books. We bought one of these for every household uh, to get the church kind of on the same page. So we'd love for you to take one of these. There's more of them in the back of the room uh, on the tables back there. Uh, the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, and that's what the sermon titles are as well. So this is part two. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, which can be found on page 953. In the black Bibles, you'll see under the chairs. So I would encourage, if you don't have a Bible, to grab one of those black Bibles, open that up. We want to uh, kind of just get you in the practice of following along the Scriptures with us. And uh, one of the models that we want to set in our gathering times is that we take the Scripture seriously. Um, we believe it speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus, and so we want to listen to what he has to say to us. Um, this issue that we've been facing, self-forgetfulness, in 1 Corinthians centers a lot around the Corinthians finding their significance in their relationships to or their attachment to significant leaders. And so we still see that today in our world where we believe that being connected with maybe a certain school or a certain tribe or a certain vocation or certain accomplishments makes us important, gives us a sense of identity. And Paul is encouraging them not to boast in people or their connection to people or what they've done or who they know, but to boast in or to take pride or take security in their identity in Jesus himself. And so that's the issue we have in, in Corinth, a lot of divisions, a lot of factions, a lot of people settling for second best, their connection to people and leaders instead of their connection to Christ. And that's what Paul is challenging here, trying to teach them what is real Christian humility, what does it mean to be self-forgetful. So starting in verse 21, we see he challenging some challenging them not to boast in men any longer. Uh, and what I want you to understand is that we all have this temptation. We all have this temptation. And I want you to think about when is the last time that I was lured towards that? Um, what's this week maybe even in my job, in my home, in my workplace, where I was drawn to thinking for myself that if I'm connected to this person or if I do this thing, that, that's going to make everything okay. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about it a lot in a book called That Hideous Strength. It's a fiction book that he wrote, a fantasy novel, and he shows how people have this desire to be in the inner ring or the inner circle. Have you ever had that experience where you saw a group of people and you thought, if I could just break into that group, then, then things would be okay? Or if I could get into that elite vocation, or if I could accomplish that degree, or if I could just be a really good mom or dad or a really good soldier or a really good commander or a really good teacher, then I will have broken into the, the inner circle. What's interesting is this week is Palm Sunday. You know, y'all heard that phrase before, Palm Sunday? That's the, the week. It was this time of year when Jesus came into Jerusalem. So Jesus, our hero, our savior, as Christians, we celebrate Jesus, right? Well, Jesus came into the capital city, into the inner ring this day. He was welcomed by his followers, but the elite inner circle pushed him out. So he knows what it's like to come into the inner ring and to be rejected. That's our hero. That's our savior. The one who was brought into the inner circle and then kicked outside of the city and killed. Um, so all of that is background. A lot of different ways to look at it. Let's look at Paul's charge, 1 Corinthians 3. Starting in verse 21, he says, So let no one boast in men. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. 
This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, not to, be go, to, not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So their problem was they were connecting with men. They were saying, I'm important because I'm connected to this key leader, this key person. And that led to a, a type of boasting in their accomplishment, their associations, but also a boasting in uh, who they were and what they'd done on their own. And we still see that today. We, we boast in who we know. We boast in what we've done. We boast in our job. We boast in our accomplishments. We boast in our relationships. Paul's saying, what, what do you have that wasn't given to you? How can you not see that everything you have is a gift from God? Let me pray and ask God to help us. I know we, we have a resistance to really hearing what God wants us to hear with this message. So I want to pray that the Spirit would kind of crack open our hearts and, and allow us to be sensitive to what he's saying here. God, we pray that your Spirit would uh, enlighten us, that you'd open our eyes, that you'd help us to see where there might be issues of pride, where we're taking pride in what we've done or who we know or what we're associated with. Father, I pray also that you would help us to see areas of shame uh, where we're just stuck uh, in being a victim and stuck in what's been done to us or what maybe what we've done and unable to move past that. We pray that your spirit would help us to have a real gospel humility, a real self-forgetfulness where we, we serve others in love. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at the concept again of self-forgetfulness, um, I think this text gives us three different phases that we'll move through. One is the model of self-forgetfulness. Paul actually lays out a model for us at the beginning of this section. What's the model of self-forgetfulness? And then he's going to tell us what the problem is, what, what keeps us from accomplishing a gospel humility, a self-forgetfulness, being able to love and serve others. Uh, and then finally, he'll give us the solution. What's the solution to uh, being able to be truly self-forgetful. So the first thing I want us to see is the model that he gives us here. So we have a model, and that is that we are stewards and servants. Paul says this about himself, and Paul is giving a model of how he can be self-forgetful, and that then translates to us. It's a model for us to follow as well, that we would see ourselves also as stewards and as servants. So look again at verse 21. He says in verse 21, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. So don't boast in men because all things are yours already. And what he's saying is you already have Jesus, so you can't like win anything extra. And this is something that people in, in churches really struggle with. We believe that Jesus has set us free from sin and death, that he's forgiven us, that we're adopted into his family. And then like a week later, after having that experience of trusting Jesus, you start to think, but if I do this thing, then maybe God would really like me even more. Paul's like, how, how could he like you anymore? You have everything. He loves you. So we've got to start there. Do you really believe that? Because you won't be able to function in this model that Paul's laying out if you don't really believe that all things are yours, that he really does love you, he really does delight in you. 
that God likes you in Christ. He sees you through Jesus. If you've trusted in him, then you are whole. You're perfect and complete. He's happy with you. It's only when you understand that he loves you, then you step out in true obedience saying, I want to obey you because I love you because you love me and now I'm going to listen to you and do what you say. See, when we're obeying in order to win God's love, that's, that's not real obedience. That is a self-centered thinking that I can accomplish it on my own. And it's so confusing because we, we want to be good, right? We want to do the right thing. We want to be obedient, but we can't do it without, without trusting him. We can't do this without having a proper relationship with Jesus. So he says, don't boast in men. When you're boasting in men, that's because you don't understand that all things are yours. You already have everything in Christ. He goes on, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Cephas is Peter's other name, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. You're in Christ. You're in him. You belong to him. You have the inheritance of of everything. We look forward to this future where all things will be made right. That's what we believe heaven to be, the new heavens and the new earth. Romans 8 talks about we're groaning for that day to come. Beautiful kind of cross-reference of this model where Paul lays out being a steward and being a servant is in Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, I personally go back to this text again and again because in Philippians 1, Paul says, lays out this logic that, that basically, of course, I'd rather die and go to heaven because heaven is better than here and now. And I think as Americans, we struggle to believe that, right? For most of us, faced with the idea of death, we think, no, 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 I don't want that, right? And there's, there's a healthy instinct God's put in us, a survival instinct, right? So that, I'm not trying to like, get us to do mass suicide or anything. Please don't hear me the wrong way. Paul says the reason we don't commit suicide, the reason we don't just jump into death is because we believe God has us here for a reason. But the reason is not your best life now. The reason is not because everything, it's going to be heaven on earth. No. Our job here is to bring as much heaven as we can to others, to love and serve others. But if we want perfection, that's heaven. And it's, it's not the time for that yet. So we're here now, Paul says in Philippians 1, for fruitful labor. So it's really interesting. I encourage you to go back and read this on your own time. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul's going back and forth saying, I, I, you know, I might die. I don't think I'm going to die because I think God has me here. He's got more business for me to do. God has more missions for me to fulfill on this earth. That goes for all of us. That's not just an apostle thing. That's a human being thing. His purpose for you here is to love and serve other people. Do you see that? That's the model that Paul says, I'm a steward and a servant. I'm here to serve others. I'm under the administration. I'm under the orders of of my ship captain, of my Lord and Savior Jesus. These words are interesting. Steward is this kind of household administrator. um, And then servant, it's an unusual word for servant. It literally means under rower. So the word in the first century had come to mean just any kind of servant, any kind of lackey or assistant. Um, But originally its technical meaning uh, was a galley slave in these giant ships. Y'all remember Ben-Hur? Grabbed a picture here of Ben-Hur. It's an old movie. Um, These Roman uh, centurions are like, you know, whipping the guys and they're all under there in their underwear rowing the ship, right? And it's, it's a miserable job. And this is what Paul calls himself. So Paul's saying, you Corinthians are arguing about who's more connected to the most powerful and important church leader, right? So the Corinthians are saying, I'm more holy than you because I'm friends with the Apostle Peter. 
the other Corinthian is saying, well, I'm more holy than you because I'm friends with Apollos, and he, was, he went to Harvard, and he's a genius, right? And then the other guys are like, well, I'm collect- connected to Paul, the apostle Paul, and he's the one that planted the church. He was our founding leader. And Paul's like, we're not, we're not important. It's Jesus. The whole point is Jesus. We're just these galley slaves, right? We're just rowing the ship. Jesus is the captain. And you don't want to take it too far because Jesus is not like whipping slaves under the ship or anything, okay? So don't take the illustration too far. But his point is, I'm, I'm not in charge of the ship. And so this is the model that, that Paul is giving to us. Now, we're all in charge of something. You may only be in charge of your cat, and your cat doesn't believe it, right? <laughs> but we're, we're all in charge of something, but even in that something that we're still in charge of, if you're a, say you command thousands of soldiers, right? You're in charge of something, but you're really just a servant of the real commander, right? You might be a teacher. You're in charge of a classroom, kind of, you know, on, on good days, but really you serve the Lord. He's really in charge of you. You're a servant and a steward. So, so do you understand that? Think about your vocation. Does your vocation define you? Are you like scrapping and fighting and wrestling to get to a better vocation so you can be more important? Or do you recognize this is just a vocation Jesus has for me today, this week, maybe for 10 years? I don't know, but I'm just a steward. I'm a servant. I'm here being faithful to my Lord. He's put me here today. Scripture is very clear that, that God had in mind for you to live in this time and in this place, Fort Hood. He had in mind for you to live in Fort Hood, right? And he loves you. He's placed you here as a servant and as a steward. What are you going to do with the administration, the stewardship that God has given you? So for Paul, it's a good thing, and he loves it. He loves being a steward. He loves being a servant because he believes his master is really good. So he's enjoying the stewardship. He's enjoying the service that he has. I think for us, we forget that so quickly, and we think our identity is based on how successful we are, or how much we've accomplished, or what kind of job we have, or how much respect we have, or if we're connected to the right people. And so we're just, we're busy. As Keller said in his book, the self-forgetfulness book we're given out, we're, we have these painful, busy, fragile egos, right? We're just kind of fighting to have an identity. We don't believe we have an identity yet, so we're, we're churning and, and trying to get one. Paul's saying, no, you have one. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. So no matter what your vocation is, if you're a teacher or a commander or a soldier or a mom, a dad, whatever you do, you can do it as a servant of Christ. You belong to him. He's given you these little ones to care for and to love and to serve. And you can be forgetful about yourself because you've already got everything in Christ. You're full. You're, you're rich. You're taken care of. And you know it's not heaven yet. You know you're looking forward to that. And so for now, it's years of fruitful labor, as he says in Philippians chapter 1. He says in verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And of course, there's some specifics here for an apostle, right? An apostle's job is to share the good news of Jesus. But throughout the New Testament, we're told, really, we're all kind of junior apostles. I mean, I may not be an apostle in the sense of getting to write the Bible, right? But we're all servants of Jesus, we're all stewards of the mysteries. of God. We've all been given this good news of hope in Jesus, and we are to share it with others. We often share it by just being faithful workers where we are, by loving those that, that we work with, by serving them well, by doing our job with excellence, by ma- maintaining a, a faithful testimony of this is who God is, right? I'm doing beautiful work. I'm doing excellent work. I'm serving others in love. We also then have opportunities to speak about 
the mysteries of who Jesus is and what he's done. But we can't fall back into thinking my accomplishments define me because he says again, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Um, Some of you have fantastic gifts. And if you're competitively trying to find an identity in your gifts, you might be the best at whatever that thing is in this room. Paul would say, God gave that to you, right? If you're the fastest person in the room, God made you fast. If you're the strongest person in the room, God made you strong. If you're the most organized person in the room, God made you organized. If you're the most beautiful person in the room, God made you beautiful. What do you have that you didn't receive from God? Now, some of you, again, I know your pride is fighting me right now. You're like, no, I worked for this. God placed you in this world. He put you in a place where you could work for it. He gave you the time to work for it. So maybe you have developed your gifts. Good on you. That's great. But God gave you the opportunity to do that. He gave you the breath that you're breathing. He gave everything to us, even our work, even our effort. And so Paul's point here is if we really identify in who God is and what he's done for us, then we can follow this model of, so then that means my job is to be a servant and a steward. And that's not a bad thing, right? I'm a galley slave. I'm Ben-Hur under the ship. But Paul's like, and this is awesome. I love it. I love this job. This is a great, this is a great job. And I'm heading for, for better things later on. So, so what's your role at home and at work? What's the role you have now? Do you believe a God of love could actually give you that role? Paul says, I'm happy to be a servant and steward. God has given you the role he's given you. What are you going to do with it? And it's fine to want another job. Believe me, I've had jobs I hated and look forward to getting new jobs, right? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, what are you going to do with it while you have it? Are you going to serve others in love? Are you going to be self-forgetful or is it all a reflection back on you? Is it all what you're wrapped up in in your own ego? Or can you look outside that and say, Jesus has me here for a purpose. I'm going to serve others even through this terrible job that I'm in for a season. How are you going to do that? I see this in families a lot. um, And I see this reflected in different ways. And so I'm going to stereotype a little bit. So please forgive me. I know that some of you live outside the stereotypes. I'm one of those people myself. I'm not always the stereotypical male, etc. But I often see moms struggling under this huge burden of what I call mom guilt. Do you know what I'm talking about? Every mom is like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Because you're never enough. You can never do enough. Um, And I just want to encourage you that that's actually true. You can never do enough. So what, what, what gives you hope is that Jesus loves you, not that you're the perfect mom. Because no amount of momming can win you a perfect status. But a holy God has entered into our world and, and taken you into his family through Jesus. That's what makes you enough. And so if you know that, if you know that your identity is settled, then you can love and serve your family out of what Jesus has given you, right? And so I see moms struggling under mom guilt, burning out. Because it's never enough, so they just kind of keep spinning and keep doing more and more and more and more and more. 